Welcome to the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, an archive of Robert Lewis's sermons while at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. The following podcast is one of Robert's original messages to men on manhood, found here under the series heading, Authentic Manhood. As you listen to it, we hope it will give you both personal encouragement and spiritual inspiration to live better as a man. You know, for the last uh, four weeks, we've been addressing what I've called the legs of manhood. And I say the legs of manhood because those are the legs that are given to us in our youthfulness by a mom and by a dad. And what those two powerful forces do or don't do for a boy growing up, leave him later in adult life with either strong and steady legs to stand on as he stands up in his full masculinity, or it leaves him with weak and unsteady legs that need braces, or maybe in a few cases here, you look down and what you need is a prosthesis because one or both of the legs are missing. I say all that because sometimes our natural legs of manhood, mom and dad failed to support us the way that they should have for one reason or another. And we then have to ask the question, hopefully that's why you're here, you're asking the question, then what? Then what? If they didn't give me these legs, if I feel like they're braces or something's missing, they're just stumps there, then what? And the answer is, you don't quit, you don't play the victim, you don't blame others, you stand up and act like a man and move forward. That's what you do. And that's what we're encouraging you to do this whole year. So this morning we're going to address how to act responsibly with mom. That's what we started last week, but how to act responsibly with mom, especially a mother who's overplayed her hand in your life. And she's been unwilling to let go for one reason or another. How do you deal with a mom like that in a responsible way? Well, we introduced to you what that wound was because I called it the overly bonded with mother wound. We saw an illustration of that in the movie clip. But let me again define it for you here on the screen. Here's what we said that wound was. We said it was an unhealthy emotional relationship with mother that causes a son to either be threatened by the influence of women later on or to over-identify and remain dependent on that influence and submissive to it. With a mother wound, with a mother wound, there's, there can develop two extreme forms of masculinity rather than the balanced masculinity that we talked about some weeks back. And those two consequences are these. First, sons can become overly passive in regard to women. In yielding to mom's influences that go on even after they needed to be cut into adulthood, a son sacrifices his masculinity. He over-identifies with his mother. He becomes, as we talked about last week, feminized. He learns to react in ways that are more appropriate to a woman than to a man. He places high emphasis on his feelings because of that over-identification with the key woman in his life. He learns to, in, to wait rather than initiate because he learned that from mom. He shuns risk-taking. And as he becomes an adult, 
He looks to a woman to care for him in the same way he looked to mom to care for him. He has that invisible emotional umbilical cord. And he's moving around to connect that into another woman if he can't connect it into mom. Three words identify the man who becomes overly passive in regards to women because of his relationship with mom. The soft male. You have that on the screen and you probably wonder why I have fantasy and porn there. I want to mention one thing as an aside. So let me step aside here for a minute. When a man grows up in a home and he over-identifies with his mom and he feels threatened or, or, or over-identifies and feels submissive to that relationship, there's a man inside of him that wants to get out and lead and be a man with women. But it's been suppressed. And so as he moves through life, he feels like he wilts in the presence of women. And if he gets married, he wilts in the presence of his wife. But there's a man in there that wants to get out. And if he doesn't handle it in a healthy way, then he fantasizes about how he would handle it. But he does it in an unhealthy way. So a lot of men who become what I call the soft male or the feminized man, not effeminate, feminized. A lot of men get attached in a very unhealthy way to pornography. Because it's the one place that they can go in a fantasy relationship where they feel like they can act like a man in regards to women without being suppressed or by that woman or over-identifying in a way that he has to submit to that woman. He can kind of be the leader in that fantasy relationship. And if pornography is a problem with you, and it's a problem not just with this first case of extreme masculinity, but also in the second case, a lot of times it goes back to these inadequacies that we, do, that we develop in regards to mother. The soft male, the feminized man, another phrase is the passive husband who has connected with a mother wife. That's who he married. Someone who would continue to take care of him the same way mom did. And as I said last week, in the beginning, that strong woman with that strong warrior sees him as a sensitive male, but after they're married, begins to resent him for his lack of initiative. So the first consequence is sons can become overly passive in regard to women. Secondly, sons can become overly dominant in regard to women if they have been threatened by mom. And what happens in this is a son in growing up with mom contends with her and resists her influence over his life and it finally distorts his masculinity and that's what he takes out into the world with him. He sees women later on after mom as a constant threat to his masculinity. He sees them as seeking to control him. And because of that, he becomes too strong in his relationships with women, too demanding. He develops a my way or the highway kind of mentality. He's threatened by any woman's assertiveness. And when he gets in a marriage, when a woman tries to express herself, her feelings, her rights, 
her equalities. He sees that as an attack on his masculinity. And he feels like he has to dominate that and rule over that and suppress that or else it's going to control him. But really what he's doing is shadow boxing with his past. As an adult, he looks for a woman who will give him what he wants and give in to his desires. If he's a Christian man, he loves the word submit. He loves that word because it speaks right to the issue of his wound. Three phrases that describes the man who becomes overly dominant early in his relationship with mom would be this, a conquering masculinity. And it's in its extreme forms, and we see it all the time, don't we, in our world today? In extreme forms, it leads to domestic violence, abuse, rape. You know what rape is? Rape is a guy who's so threatened by women that this is his way of getting even. But it has roots that go way back in that regard. Secondly, what I call a fierce independence because that person fears being vulnerable in the presence of women. He has a real difficult time opening his heart to a woman. And the reason he does is because if he feels like if he did that, she'd take advantage and take control. So he's got this fierce independence. It's also expressed in the demanding husband who makes demands over his wife and rules his household kind of with an iron fist. Now, as you look at those two extreme forms, you know, every one of us in the room, we're on this kind of pole. If those are the poles, the overly passive here and the overly dominant here, those are the poles. You might ask yourself, where on those poles do I find myself? That's a good question to ask. Do I lean one way or the other? A lot of that, as I said, goes back to our relationship in those primal beginnings with mom. Now, I know this wound is difficult to talk about because, you know, as I said last week, I'm not here to beat up mom. That's not the intent. Because oftentimes the wound is inflicted, as we mentioned last week, not because mom intended to hurt you. In fact, this wound is often inflicted more out of love than neglect. The problem is, is that the love and concern goes too far. And it gives too much. And it gets too involved. And as payment, it asks too much in return. That's the problem. And every son needs a healthy emotional break with mom that takes him out of mom's orbit, that establishes a healthy separate identity, which enables him later on, when he's finally an adult, in the full bloom of his masculinity, to relate to a woman in life, not out of need, desperate need, and not out of an over-dependence, but to relate to her out of a healthy give-and-take relationship of two separate healthy individuals. Now that sounds good, but I want you to know, every mom has difficulty with this. Even, even the best of moms. Even Jesus' mom. Did you know that? I want to give you four snapshots into Jesus' relationship with his mother. First of all, I want you to look here. We'll put it on the screen and, and just read it. 
Luke chapter 2. Jesus is 12 years old. And here's a moment in the life of a mother and son. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus, he is a boy, but he's a changing boy. He's 12 years old. He's probably going through puberty at this particular period of time. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents weren't aware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan. They went a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And they did not find him and they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And it came about that after three days, that's a long time looking for your boy. You'd be upset, wouldn't you? He's missing for three days. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. They were already getting a sense of who this, this, this guy was extraordinary. And when they saw Jesus, they were astonished. And then notice this. And his mother said to him, not his dad, his mother. She steps forward. Now, you know, it's interesting in Scripture, nowhere do we hear Joseph say anything. Now, I'm not saying Joseph was a weak man, but what I am saying is it's real clear from, from Scripture that Mary was a strong woman. And she initiates in this moment. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Now, notice if dad was speaking, he wouldn't say it that way, would he? He said, what in the fat are you doing? <laughs> he would speak on a task level. But not mom. She doesn't speak that way, does she? She has a whole different language. Son, why have you treated us this way? Let me paraphrase. Why have you hurt your mama? Why would you do this to me? Now, the reason I tell you that is because Mary, of all people, should have known. It was Mary to whom the angel Gabriel had appeared, right? It was to Mary who, who, who the angel said, you're going to bear Emmanuel, God with us. And it says that she treasured all those things in her heart. Oh, she had a certain clarity about the relationship all along. But see... Even when you have the Son of God, you're still a mother. And that gets all mixed together, doesn't it? So Jesus, in this moment, gives her some relational clarity. He's only 12, but he's sharp. So he says, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And of course, it says, they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. But they should have. And for Mary in particular. But you know what you hear in this moment? If you look closely between the lines, you hear, cut, cut. There's an umbilical cord, an invisible one, that's being snipped in this moment. Then I want you to look at a second passage. This occurred when Jesus was 30 years old. Now, he's not a boy now. He's a man. And there's a social moment here as Jesus is about to inaugurate his public ministry, or he's, he's actually in the first part of his public ministry, and in John 2 it says, And on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus also was invited. 
and his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine game gave out, now, now just imagine, it's a party. It's a social situation. There are people there having fun together and the wine gives out. And the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Do you hear a message in that, guys? Let me say it probably the way Jesus heard it. Boy, they have no wine. You're God. And that's exactly how it felt. And you can feel it. There's orders being given. They're not being given direct the way a man would say it. They're being given indirectly through the relationship. You owe me. I'm your mother. And what does Jesus say? Well, mom, come on. No, he didn't say that. He speaks as a man who doesn't want to be bonded in this way. And he doesn't say, Mom. He says, and listen, it's strong, isn't it? Woman, woman, what do I have to do with you? Don't push me. That's what's happening here. Cut, cut. That's what you're feeling. But notice, he's a 30-year-old man. Don't tell me what to do. Maybe another way of paraphrasing, take your umbilical cord away from me. I don't want it. There's a third situation. Look here in Matthew chapter 12. It's two years later. Jesus is well into his ministry. And there's some spiritual clarity that needed to be given to mom. It says in Matthew 12, while he was still speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Now, let's just ask the question. There's this one called someone. See it there in the text? How do you think that someone was sent? <laughs> You don't think this someone was commissioned directly by Mary? Just listen to the request. Your mother, behold, your mother is out here with your brothers wanting to speak to you. But he answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Cut, cut. Go tell mom that. Now, you would think, well, man, they must have had a tough relationship. No, they really didn't have a tough relationship. I think they had a sweet relationship. I think Jesus honored his mother his whole life. And I think she felt honored. But there's that constant kind of movement going on in their relationship. Now all this comes to an interesting ending at the cross. And I want you to see this because it's a very healthy ending. Jesus is 33. He's being crucified. John 19 tells us the story, but 
But what you need to see before I read the passage is that Jesus kept his mom from rebonding with him. But here's what I want you to hear. Listen to this very closely. In keeping her at a certain healthy distance, she did not lose Jesus as a son. Listen, she gained back Jesus as a man. That's what happened here. Who has a healthy self-identity in and of his own right. And listen to what it says here. They were standing by the cross of Je there was there by standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus hanging on the cross, when he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother on the cross, Mother, behold your son. You knew this from the very beginning. Here I am. But here's what, here's what I think he's telling her. Here's the message. Here's your son, a man. And you would have never put me here. You would have kept me from this because you love me so much. Behold, your son. And then in the midst of the pain and agony of that moment, look what he does. He says to the disciple, John, John, behold your mother. And he got the message, didn't he? Because from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. You know what that means? That means at the end, Mary wasn't caring for Jesus, the boy. Jesus, the man, was caring <laughs> for his mother. And that's the way it should be in adulthood. You know, I can remember, I told you about my mom and my dad and all the issues that went on between them and how oftentimes I was pulled into that relationship to negotiate their troubled marriage. Even after uh, I was married, had kids, and would come back to see mom, periodically we'd be sitting there, just be her and I, and we would fall into that old mother-boy kind of rut. And she'd kind of suck me in and begin to talk to me about my dad and what he needed to do and get me to try to side with her. We'd have those little moments along the way. I never forget one moment. Part of it's because I'd gotten a little older and a little wiser by that time. She started into that rut and I stopped her. And I looked at her and I said, Mama, you will never, ever control me. So stop trying. And, and I, I don't know why that was such a magical moment, but I remember she leaned back and kind of laughed for a moment. And from that day on, she never tried to control me again. But I also remember back in 1986 when my mother had cancer and she was dying. For two years, I'd been driving weekends back to Ruston, my hometown, to take care of her. Dad was dead then, helping her with her finances, helping her with her living conditions and all those kind of things, just caring for my mom. But on this particular Easter Sunday morning, the doctor just told me that all the cancer that she had been experiencing had now moved into her brain and she had just a couple of months to live. And I was supposed to go tell her that, my mother. So I went into the room and I remember her sitting there and gently just broke the news to her that the cancer had advanced to her brain. She knew exactly what that meant. 
But in that moment, on that Easter morning, she looked up to me, and I'll never forget this, guys, and here's what she said to me. She said, Robert, I want you to know how good it has been over the last two years to have been protected by a man. And that's the way it should be. From a boy to a man. That's the healthy break with mom. Now what I want to do is give you seven suggestions for you for healing this wound. Just seven suggestions. Here's the first. Because now we need to move in your life, wherever you are. First, always start with the understanding that breaking mom's over-involvement, if that's the case with you. Now that's not the case with every guy here is good for you and her. Now, it's not going to feel like that in the beginning, but it is because authentic manhood is impossible without it. As long as you are tied to mom in some unhealthy way, look guys, as long as you're tied to mom in some unhealthy way, if it's small or large, it's going to stunt your quest for masculinity. Secondly, Recognize that your ultimate goal is to become a man whose vision is fixed on what God thinks, not on what mom thinks. Now, that's, that's assuming that you have a spiritual vision for your life. If you don't, this wouldn't necessarily apply. But if you have a spiritual vision for your life, you've finally got to turn and decide, what does God think of my life, not what mom thinks of my life? And you know, Jesus was, was strong on this point. Here's the way he said it in Matthew 10, 37. He said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You can't be tied back there. You've got to leave and cleave to me. Real manhood begins when a man begins to ask this question. God, what kind of man do you want me to be? I think that's the question you guys are asking. That's why you're here. And I think that's a noble question. And I'm hoping that over the course of this year, in a, in a large measure, you'll have an answer for that. And then, then it becomes an act of will and faith. And that is, are you going to follow that vision or you're going to keep yourself tied to the past? And that's going to be what the real issue will be at that point. Third, stop complaining or struggling with mom. If you have this wound, get the support, encouragement, and help you need from other men or a counselor if necessary, if it's serious at that level. And here's the key. And develop a plan for healthy independence from mom. And underline the word healthy. Invite those men's feedback to avoid serious errors in making the break. You know, so, uh, Proverb 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you're struggling in this area, you need other men to talk to, to kind of get what I call a balanced clarity on what's really going on. And then out of that, you formulate a plan to make what I call a healthy, not an unhealthy break, because you can make an unhealthy break. You can wield an ax. And that's not how you love your mom. We're talking about making a healthy break to help make you a healthy man. And to do that, you need a specific plan. Now, let me tell you two things about the, three things about the plan. First, this plan should address specific issues that are troublesome to you with specific applications. 
It may be your mom's interference in your marriage. It may be the excessive time demands that she's still making on you as an adult. It may be her need, her excessive need for attention, her overbearing expectations, her emotional manipulations, her inappropriate remarks or criticisms to you or to members of your family, her unwillingness to release you or an unwillingness to acknowledge who you are now. She's living in kind of a time warp, a time lock perspective, and you're still a boy in her perspective and you don't want to be anymore. Your plan must address those specific items, the ones that are troubling to you with a specific application. Secondly, this plan should establish what I call time-tested boundaries to how you and mom will interact in the future. It's not just saying what the issue is, but you're going to draw some boundaries now to say how we're going to now interact in the future. You're going to establish those boundaries. Not her. And you're going to enforce them. The challenge, though, is to establish lines that allow you to continue to honor the, four, the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother. So whatever boundary you draw, it should be healthy for you and honoring to her. So you need to ask with the counsel of other men, is this boundary I'm proposing, is it too tight or is it too loose? Is it clear? Does it still honor my mom and our relationship? Is it fair to both of us in light of our situation? Third, this plan should include clear consequences attached to boundary violations. Once you've got that plan, it's clear, it's fair. It should have clear consequences if she violates those boundaries. You might say to your mom, if you talk to my wife Mary about this anymore, if you keep telling her how to raise our son Josh, if you do, mom, you're going to have to leave. That's the boundary. Mom, I can't come over tonight. Or I can't come to your home for the holidays. I have other things to do. I'll not keep addressing it with you. Or mom, we are choosing to do this or that as our way of life. And this or that may include how we discipline the kids, where we choose to live, what school we are going to send our kids to or not send our kids to, where we go to church, when we vacation and where we vacation and where we spend the holidays, and so on and so forth. And you say, this is what it's going to be. And we're not going to talk about it anymore. And if you exceed those boundaries, then there are going to be consequences to that. Now, some of you may say, I need help with that. And if you need help, there are going to be other books in the future that will come out that will be real helpful. One right now that's extremely helpful to both men and women is this book called Boundaries. And we've got that in our bookstore, but I just want to recommend that to you as a way of educating yourself of how to draw boundaries that have healthy but clear consequences. And by the way, if you have a wife who struggles with her mom, okay, this is an excellent book that you might give to her as well. So those are the three things that the plan should include. Now, fourth, communicate your plan in one of the following ways to your mom and stand your ground regardless of how she responds. Here's the two ways you can do it. First, just through a new way of relating. Some of these things may just be mild issues. 
because of the intensity level or lack of it, you may just say, you know, I'm going to change the way we do this. I'm going to tell mom we're not coming to her house for Christmas. We're going to have our own Christmas. Our kids now are at an age where they need to be in their own setting. And by the strength of your voice and the way you say it and the way you say it in an honoring way, your mom may all of a sudden realize she's dealing with a different person. And she may respond positive to that. She may not like it, but she says, well, okay. And that begins to set the healthy boundary. So it's just a new way of relating. If, if, if you find that she doesn't respond that way, and she begins to emotionally punish you in one way or another or complain, then it may require this second step, and that is through a face-to-face -face meeting where you talk about these specific issues. And you sit down, and it's, and it's fairly dramatic, and you're going to feel the little boy, and you want to take over. But you've got to put the little boy down and have the big man stand up and you've got to say, this is the way it's going to be. And when those emotions and those appeals of love and what are you doing to your mama kind of feelings start flowing, you've got to stand there and not blink. And you've got to say, this is the way it's going to be. And I love you, mom. I really do. This is the way it's going to be. God has called me to leave and cleave to my wife. Or God's called me to leave and cleave to him. And I'm moving forward not going backwards. Fifth, use the men in your life to report back to for clarity, encouragement, and accountability. I want you to know this is very helpful, especially if mom chooses to battle with you, at least for a while, or to stay over involved or to punish you in some way. To make a healthy break with mom in a number of cases is a process. It's not a one-time thing. It's a process. And that's why you need what I call male cheerleaders, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks. I had a, a dentist from Batesville call me the other day. He was in men's fraternity two years ago. We went through this session and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And here he is two years later and the phone rings and I pick it up and he's on the other end. He said, you know when you talked about the mother wound two years ago? He says, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm ready to do it. Will you listen to my plan? But really, you know what he needed? He needed a cheerleader. He just needed another guy on the other end of the phone saying to him, you know, Jan, that's a good thing to do. Go do it. He said, your mom may struggle with that for a while, but you need to do that for you and for her. It's good for both of you so you can become the kind of man that you need to be. Sixth, if you are married, listen closely, guys. If you are married, tell your wife, if you've got an over-involved mom in your life, tell your wife you recognize the problem with an interfering mom and that you will take responsibility to correct it. You're not going to let her get in the middle. Ask her for your support and prayer, but ask her not to get involved. It's your problem, not hers. If you'll do that, here's what will happen your wife will be relieved. She will respect and admire you as a man. It will keep the pressure where it needs to be on the primary relationship, that is between you and your mom, not her and your wife. It will cause your wife to feel loved by you in a much deeper way. 
and it will cause your wife to respect you as a man and admire your leadership over the family. And those are all good things. Those are real good things. And then finally, in some cases, your efforts to establish a healthy relationship with mom will result in a time of emotional punishment or even your mom's angry withdrawal. My encouragement to you is do not be derailed by this because in time, she will, she will adjust. I promise you. She will. In fact, let me give you a real-life letter out of men's fraternity of a guy who did this very thing. He had had some real difficult relationships with his mother. Guy's 40 years old. His mom sent him some angry letters. This is his response to his mom in finally drawing up the plan and then her response back to him. She, he said this to her. Dear mom, I want to be honest with my feelings about you. So I will throw away my natural timidity and say what I think. Many aspects of your recent letter to me are like the worst aspects of our adult mother-son relationship this past 20 years. Two words come to mind to describe this relationship. Domination and manipulation. I feel that anytime I resist your dominant will, then your response is manipulative, particularly to induce the emotion of guilt in me. Oftentimes in the past, this has worked, although to no one's satisfaction. Hopefully we can now break this cycle. I will continue to honor you as my mother, but I cannot fulfill your needs in any area. We can acknowledge this without going to the extreme of a totally cut off relationship. I suggest to you that if you find our relationship very painful, then your expectations from it are not proper. I ask that we may have a right relationship as a mother to son before the Lord. Please recognize that as a grown man, I must follow the call to be a man no longer tied to his mother. I must follow the biblical command to leave my parents' home and to cleave to my wife. And please don't use emotional manipulation techniques on me in the future, for I am planning to resist it from now on. This letter is from me, not from my wife. I plan to let Betty read it before I send it, but only myself and you can be accountable for our relationship. Betty is neither the cause nor the solution to our relational problems, and she never has been, although in the past you have blamed her as the cause. This will no doubt be a slow-moving struggle, but it's time to work on a new kind of relationship between us. I love you, and I await your reply. That's pretty good, isn't it? Here's his mom's reply. Dear son, maybe there is no legal means for you to get rid of me as your mother, <laughs> or as a mother-in-law, but I can sure try to make it easier for you to be free of me emotionally. I hereby grant you permission to forget I exist <laughs> or ever was or ever will be a part of your life or the lives of your children. I realize that this is the, w the way it is anyway, but just in case you occasionally feel burdened with the fact that I actually do exist and you have to put up with me, I want to remove that obstacle for you. I will admit that I am not doing this just for you and the kids as I am truly weary of the hostility and rejection as well as the shattered hopes and dreams I had for us. I have waited so long for us to be friends 
the kind of friends that I believe we once were. It's not easy to say goodbye to such an important part of my life, but you have really left me no choice. With all the love I hold in my heart for you both, your ex-mom. <laughs> P.S. <laughs> I know how Jesus felt when he spoke in Matthew 23. Oh, how I long to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That's tough, isn't it? But you know what? He hung in there. And you want to hear the good news? His mom adjusted. And she got back a man as well as a son. Now, I want to take a hard right just for a moment. That's in relationship to men and their mothers. And I want to speak just for a couple of minutes, and I'm going to close. I want to speak to you as dads with your sons in these final couple of points. The critical need today is for fathers to call their teenage sons away from dependency on mom to manhood. I'm only going to mention this briefly. You just tuck this away. This is a little addendum free of charge. Dads, your teenage sons need to be called away from mom. And what that means is is that mom is not going to wake them up in the morning. Mom is not going to take them out and buy their clothes for them anymore. Mom's not going to cover for their mistakes at school. Mom is not going to become the counselor of their boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. Mom is not going to be setting appointments for their haircut. Mom's not going to be paying their bills. There comes a place where you, Dad, need to call your son to you and away from Mom. And he needs to set his own alarm. And if he wants to go out and buy clothes, you need to take him. Or you need to tell him to go do it himself. And let his hair grow over his ears if necessary until he decides it's time for him to get a haircut. It's not time for mom to be mom to a teenage son in a way that she's caring like he's in elementary school. It's time for him to grow up. And you need to be calling him into authentic manhood. Now you go, well, how do I do that? That's what this year is about. We're going to ask you, those of you who are dads who have teenage sons, they can join us for the second half. But what I want you to hear me say now is the face of a son when he hits his teenage years needs to start turning to dad and you need to call him away from mom. Three things about that. First, this call away needs to be clear and direct. You need to say, son, come join me as a man and you need to be able to define what manhood is. You say, well, I don't have a definition. Listen, if you'll stick with me the whole year, you will have a definition and it'll be clear and I think it'll be exciting to you and you'll be able to call your son to it as you pursue it for yourself. Secondly, this call away needs to be embraced by the son, the dad, and the mom to be effective. And so there's probably going to have to be a discussion with mom about where she needs to back off as he moves into his teenage years. Thirdly, this call away needs to employ ceremony, a ceremony or a series of ceremonies 
that are signposts that this son is stepping into manhood. And you know what the best way for a son to find out he's a man? It's for his dad to be with some other men and they call him into manhood. And we're going to talk about how to do ceremonies in the second half of men's fraternity. And it'll be some of the finest days of your son's lives if you'll do them. But that's for later. Well, let me close with two final comments. Here's the first. Let me just say again. The legs of masculinity, whether they're weak or strong, on which a man stands, they're established at home. And for the legs here, by the way, that are good and strong and healthy, can I just encourage you as men, if you have good, strong, healthy legs because of your family of origin, would you give thanks for that? And whether it's at Thanksgiving or Christmas or a holiday or a birthday, would you get up in your mom and dad's face and say, thanks? and praise them for the good work that they did when you were growing up. For those who have legs here that are hurting and shaky or maybe missing altogether, then my admonition and exhortation to you is that you would take responsibility for that. And then do this. Go out into the world, even with those hurts, bruises, or amputations, and show the world a miracle. Stand up and be a man. You can do it because others have done it. You're not the first nor the last. Then finally, I want you to say as a way of exhortation as something I introduced to you in about the third session, start working on your manhood plan right now. This is the time right now to pull out that plan that I gave you, that outline, and start working on that plan. Take it out and decide how you're going to ha handle this absent father wound and make up for it if you have it. Or how you're going to address the overly bonded with mother wound and make the break from it if you need to. It's time to start. Look at me, guys. It's time to start right now. And remember, because this is the foundational principle of the whole first half of men's fraternity. So let me just say it again. Just remember how you unpack this unfinished business will, to a large degree, determine the kind of man that you will be. That's what you need to hear. Now, as of today, we're going to leave the past. As of this session, we're leaving our family of origin. And next week, we're going to turn to present circumstances and we're going to look at how present circumstances shape our manhood right now, every day. Our friends, our mentors, or our lack of mentors, our perspectives on life, our beliefs, our convictions, our relationship with God. All that in the next few weeks. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Robert Lewis Sermon Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please rate and review this podcast. In addition, share this with your friends and community. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about the team at soundofarose.com.